0: welcome and good day you are now tuned into the 16th episode of the season bed podcast i'm so happy you can make it to another chapter of this show this week i'm proud to bring you one of the most anticipated and requested episodes of this show's time so many times when i reach out to interview a coast guard lady almost without fail one of the names that gets brought up in conversation is the lady i get to bring to you today you want to know if i've contacted her you want to know if i've spoken to her two of y'all even had the audacity to ask if i knew her girl yes we all know who lisa spotwood is (laughs) and honestly that says a lot for a woman who was not only not an officer but also did not stay in more than the required 20 years that it takes to retire master chief lisa spotwood came into the coast guard in 1986 and within four and a half years made e6 which means in her first enlistment she made enough rank to retire on by the time she was at her 18 year mark she had made e9 and when she was tired of being the command master chief she threw her badge on the CEO's desk and told him exactly what to do with it. <laughs> now, if you know anything about Lisa Spotwood, you know there are two things she simply will not do. One, waste time. And two, suffer fools.
1: <laughs>
0: Master Chief Spotwood is a legend in these Coast Guard streets. But after writing number one on two surface surface-wide exams, E8 and E9, after being the first woman chief on a 270 cutter, after becoming the first black woman in her rate to make E7 E-8 and E-9, and after working an entire shift in the galley while in labor, well, why wouldn't she be? Master Chief Spotwood may have retired in 2006, but her dedication to making the Coast Guard a safer, fairer, more welcoming place for black women has never stopped or wavered. Y'all can stop asking me when I'm going to drop the episode with the Master Chief, because here it is. That's why this week it is my privilege and my pleasure to put the spotlight on Spotwood.
1: how's it going wonderful wonderful and you
0: i'm doing great thank you so much thank you for sitting down with me and having this conversation i really appreciate you making time on your schedule i know you got stuff to do thank you for doing this as well
1: you're welcome you're welcome
0: <laughs> all right so um for this interview uh i think you agreed to give your real name rank and branch of service yes <laughs> that's what's up so uh master chief lisa spotwood What is your connection to the service? Like how long were you in? Which branch were you in? And uh, did you grow up around any veterans?
1: Okay, um, I was in for 20 years and I was, I'm retired. I'm a retired um, United States Coast Guard Master Chief. Whoa, whoa, come on. And far as growing up around family, um, my whole family has been in all of the branches except for this um, Space Force. <laughs> but, you know, far as the other branches, I have several that were in the Marines, a whole lot in the Army, um, several that was in the Navy. I have Air Force, you know, so pretty much have grown up around with all of that. And far as our family history, dealing with the military um, goes all the way back to the... Um, Civil War. My um, four-grandfather, he actually was in the Confederate Army. And um, a lot of people asked, well, the Confederate Army, but um, he was here. He was a free uh, man in the state of Virginia. And during that time, all the free men were, were required to join the Confederate Army, Confederate Army to fight against the Union Army. And um, he did not receive his pension Uh. (laughs) until he was 82 years old. So this was several years after he was in the um, Confederate Army.
0: He was 82? Before he got his first pension check? Yes. That had to have been like, all right, so the Civil War was 1863, if Mm -hmm. I'm right.
1: To 65.
0: And so this had to have been like the 1900s when he... uh,
1: when he got his first pension check. He got it in the 1800s, um, but it was like, because we said, because he died, I, I want to say it was like 1926, something like that. He was born in 1841.
0: He was a young man going to war. Yes. For a country that didn't like him that much. To yes, say but that I mean, but as a free man, he
1: was required to do that. Right on so uh, and that's the early experience when we talk about um family in the military that we have documented
0: that is amazing all right so how do you feel about your time in service how do you feel about your time in uniform uh does anything in particular stand out
1: well a whole lot of stuff stands out but you're not going by questions
0: i'm sorry I- I didn't mm-hmm. go in order.
1: Yeah, and I need you to. I'm sorry. Because I'm in order.
0: <laughs> I gave Master Chief a, a list of questions before I uh, before we started this interview, so she could be very prepared. And uh, I rearranged the order of the uh, of the questions because I like throwing people surprises. And all. <laughs> so, oh,
1: she uh, <laughs> she she's the one that got the surprise.
0: Yeah, I. <laughs> so I, I hit Master Chief with a surprise. Uh, order right here uh did you find your uh, your place
1: <laughs> huh
0: did you find your place uh the uh how do you feel about your time in service uh question
1: you better go to the stuff that you sent me mm-hmm. simple <laughs> Paradise. man and one thing i do want to say is if i had to do the coast guard all over again mm-hmm. i would
0: you would all right so what's the coast guard your first choice
1: no, the Coast Guard. Um, initially, um, after high school, I wanted to join the Air Force, but my father did not want me joining the military. So it was four years after I graduated from high school that I joined the Coast Guard.
0: What did you do in those four years?
1: Became a mother.
0: Congratulations.
1: Okay. Um. Yeah. Became a mother, and I actually worked a pretty much a year before I went into the coast guard um and I was making refrigerators from squ- from scratch. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean well, that,
0: that's no that's a story I didn't <laughs> didn't think I was going to hear. You made refrigerators
1: from scratch. First, you know that metal piece that bends in a box? I was the one riveted riveted in the ends to you turn it into me a me box. You made them from
0: Ikea. And I wouldn't have, like, I still would have been amazed uh, Said you made it from scratch. Wow.
1: Installation, everything.
0: So, like, if your refrigerator broke right now, would you be able to fix it?
1: That would be an electrical problem. (laughs) Not a manufacturing problem, okay?
0: (laughs) Look, hey, you know more about that than I do, so I'm sorry for the stupid question. (laughs) Did you make any friends while you were in service, any black lady friends? A whole lot. Do you keep up with them?
1: Yes, I do. (laughs) I might, I might see them in a supermarket. I might see them in a Walmart. You know, we end up hugging. We haven't seen each other in a while, and I also have close friends that I talk to on the phone. They live out of state, but I keep up. I keep up with everybody.
0: Right on, right on. Do you remember how you met any of uh, your black lady friends?
1: Well, we're going to go back, um, I guess I could go back to A school. Okay. It's when I first, because, you know, the first unit I was at, I was the only black female at the unit. And come to find out, I was the only single black female on the island, Long Beach Island, up, um, in New Jersey. But, um, when I went to A school, I ended up meeting Serval, um, Black females, they weren't in the cook rate or it was subsistence specialist rate back then. But um, one of them that comes to mind is um, Shawan Bellamy Knox. And um, I went to A school, she was a yeoman, and <laughs> I was a subsistence specialist. But we went through school at the same time, and she's one of my dear friends. Still to this day. Um and one of the other ladies that went to um yeoman school during that time, Tracy Mitchell, I actually went to high school with her. <laughs> so, um, she's still in the area. I don't keep up with her, but
0: Well, I'm just glad that you made some yeoman friends
1: that as a yeoman. I got I got friends <laughs> in every rate. <laughs> Okay, whether well, the DC's um, damage Control Men <laughs> like um Tony Cunningham, okay Cunningham, uh, she's your first um African American DC chief, come on, senior chief, <laughs> okay. She um, better get it. <laughs> but yeah, I've actually met most of you know different ones. I haven't been isolated. Let me just say that much.
0: I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so you began your village in A school. That was the first time you uh you befriended another person that looked like you, or that you were able to befriend someone else that looked like you.
1: Well, I think in A school I was more acquainted with them, but mm-hmm. my first friendship would be when I um went to my first um unit which was Air Station Clearwater in nineteen eighty seven. And it was an SK-2 named Dedra Green, and I would, you know, really put her as being part of, you know, the village in the early stages. Um, she literally took me under her wing my whole two years while I was at the air station. And she was from Tampa, so I, on the weekends that I did not have to work, I used to go over to her house and hang out the whole weekend and stuff. And she was my family down there. I didn't have any family in Florida, in the state of Florida. So that was the closest thing to family for me. And we still remain real good friends after all these years. It's been 36 years, and we're still very close friends.
0: Nice. So if I go to Florida and ask this lady that she knows Lisa's spot where she's not going to blank out on me. Nope, you're not
1: gonna have that. You're not gonna have that. She actually brags on me right on. but I will always be grateful you know for the um spot she had in my life back then,
0: Master chief, could, yes. you, could you tell me a war story? A story where you were tested, but you came out on top. uh you're the winner in the story
1: okay um, story that I remember is um. Back in 1996, I was at Base Portsmouth and I had been there four and a half years. And I always tell everybody out of my 20 years in the Coast Guard, that was the hardest that I ever worked. And, you know, I'm serious about that. Mm -hmm. I was at the MWR, I was running the gym, I was running the swimming pool. Uh, had the laundry um, that I got had to take change out of the machines and replenish it with um, laundry, you know, items. And, you know, um, I was also in charge of um, Portside, which did a lot of catering on the weekends and during the week. So, and I was the command drug and alcohol representative. So I was just nice. doing all of this plus standing duty, you know, OD duty. So, that, and I say that's the hardest I worked in my entire 20 years in the Coast Guard. But, you know, I consider that one of my most challenging because when it came time for me to, at the end of my tour, I had did up my own award. <laughs> And my supervisor never turned it in. What? Yeah, that didn't happen. He didn't turn it in. The other thing prior to um, my end of tour is here I was a uh, first class um, subsistence specialist, and that would be a cook for you know people that don't know. But they decided they were going to take me from the gym, which is where I, you know, was based with MWR, and sent me over to the club as an E6. (laughs) And I went over to the club because the whole reasoning behind them sending me over there was for me to get back into the paperwork because I was getting ready to go to a unit that, you know, I would be involved with the paperwork again. But I get over to the club, and all they had me doing was cleaning the grill. Wow. So here I am, an E6 cleaning the grill so I took myself back over to the gym and that's where I sat for the last nine months till the end of my tour but you know what also came to mind is they marked me low
0: after making an e6 as a mess cook they've had the, the audacity
1: yes they marked me low so during my checkout time I was checking out with the um captain on base which was robert weaver and you know he's doing the checkout with me and he was like well how was your um you know time here and everything and i said well it was fine up until the last nine months so he just politely signed a checkoff sheet and sent me on my way didn't ask any questions So then I went to, I had to go check out with the executive officer, which was Commander John Williams. So the same spill. How was your tour here? And I said, it was fine up until the last nine months, sir. So he decided to ask me questions. Okay. And the questions that I had to tell him was the fact about, you know, them sending me over to the club and having me clean grills.
0: Mess cook as an E6.
1: Well, I did not say it like that, <laughs> you know, but also, you know, during our talk and everything, um, I also said, you know, that I was speaking up. I said... I said, this is not about me because, you know, I'm going to move on. I'm going to do better, you know, once I leave here. So it's not about me. But what I'm concerned about is the females, the junior females that have come behind me. And instead of letting them stay at the gym, they're sending them over to the club to do things like clean the grills. And, you know, they're not really, you know, keeping them involved. You know, they're just having them do menial tasks. And, you know, they were so, you know, junior um, that they may not speak out like I'm speaking out now. And this is why I'm speaking out. So I left it right there. But in that time, the ex executive officer, he actually went to the supply officer and he had my marks raised. And he also wrote up an award for me. Nice. So I left, you know that situation right there, and I was a um, first class. And the next time I seen Commander John Williams, he was a captain. And he (laughs) was actually my deputy captain when I showed up at the unit as a senior chief. Okay, (laughs) so he was shot all the way from a first class, E6, to a senior chief E8. But that's what he got. I said, I'm going to be all right. And I was all right. And um, matter of fact, I from at that same unit, I made Master Chief. And I actually had Captain Johnny Williams um, pin my Master Chief stars on my collar. So that was one of my war stories. <laughs> and it turned out positive for me. It
0: did. Look, you won. You got your marks raised. Yes. And you got an award. And won.
1: I got... Captain Johnny Williams to pin my Master Chief Stars on. Word. Very classic.
0: Look, that's a win. Master Chief,
1: mm-hmm.
0: could you tell me something that you wish you had known before joining the service?
1: Um, I wish I would have known about the Coast Guard. I had no idea. I didn't know nothing about the Coast Guard, you know, and pretty much most of my life when I well, all of my life while I lived in the state of Virginia, I always lived within, a, within 10 minutes of the Coast guard base Portsmouth, and I had no idea until the year before I joined that it existed. <laughs> so I wish I would have known about the Coast Guard, you know, way before then, and perhaps I might have took my chances of defying my father and joining the Coast Guard, <laughs> you know, when I graduated high school. Okay, so
0: it's safe to say that you are the first member
1: of your family to join the Coast Guard. Actually, no. No? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know I'm throwing things out there, but my grandfather's brother, he was a Coast Guard. He was in the Coast Guard, enlisted in the Coast Guard during World War II. Okay. So, no, I wouldn't be the first one.
0: Well, seeing as how that was your grandfather's brother, brother. your Great uncle. Your great uncle. It's understandable how you wouldn't know about the Coast Guard growing
1: up. He was up in Jersey, so I I didn't know. Matter (laughs) of fact, I didn't even find out that he was a Coast Guard veteran until after I joined the Coast Guard. Never knew. Can
0: you tell me about a time when you learned a lesson that you weren't ready to learn?
1: Okay, we shall go there. While I was in the Coast Guard, um, I had married another active-duty military member. So I was pretty much wearing the hat of an active-duty member, and I was a chief at the time, and being a military spouse, so I was putting that hat on, too. Mm-hmm. And it was during that time I had just got um, stationed on the Coast Guard Cutter Laguerre, and I had made my first patrol. And my husband, um, was cheating. Mm -hmm. And during that time he got the female pregnant. Oh my God. Okay. So when I say very challenging, I know it wasn't nothing but God that kept me together, you know? You know, pretty much, you know, finding out I didn't break down. My first time breaking down concerning this issue is, um... The girl went down to the police station in Chesapeake, Virginia, and said that I was threatening her with bodily harm, even though I, I had nothing to say to the female. And so and I... Well, let me
0: pause the story right there. Yeah, for our listeners, Master Chief Spotwood is a very pretty lady. And if you know anything about street ethics, pretty girls really don't get into a lot of fights. So this is like an outlandish accusation for anybody to be making her, because she's She's cute. Like she's very pretty. But I wasn't
1: I wasn't gonna I wouldn't have put my career in jeopardy for that, you know. I mean, what happened, happened, you know. I'm not gonna sit there and be fighting over him. You you know, he, that that's his responsibility, you know, his fault, not mine's, you right. know. And um her issue with it was that when all of this stuff happened, I had a um separation agreement drawn up. And But within the separation agreement, you know, I told him, I will not divorce you until I'm off of the cutter, meaning that I don't have time to be going to court or dealing with, you know, and I'm underway. So he had to wait three years until I got <laughs> off the cutter. But a separation agreement was in place. And um I guess that she didn't feel like waiting the three years. So... Like, two months after the baby was born, here and present, she, you know, went down and took the, you know, filed these charges. Wow. Yes, wow. Wow. So I got a letter in the, you know, the letter in the mail about, you know, basically I had to go down to Suffolk's police um, department, you know, and I went down there. and I went with my best friend. And um, I get down there, and that was the first time that I broke down concerning this matter. But um, they, you know, informed me that she had took out a, you know, filed a charge of um, threatening her with bodily harm, which I did not and everything. But I did break down at the um, police station, you know, the police officer who was like, don't worry about this, don't worry about that, just, you know, this is just the beginning, and, you know they was trying to calm me down you know and then they didn't want to put handcuffs i said no do your job you know to get back you know i had to get in the back of the police car and you got handcuffed yeah i got fingerprinted and all they really
0: booked you yeah over this accusation yes
1: so um you know, at that point, you <laughs> from the police precinct we had to go down to where the jail was and book and so you know I'm riding in the back of the police car, you know, I'm telling, you know, the police officer put the handcuffs, you know, because that's procedure, you know. Can't worry about me crying and all of that. Oh my God. So, I get down there and uh, they fingerprint me in and take my mugshot and everything. Oh and the mag- the magistrate, you know, he basically, you know, he let me out on my own reconnaissance and he actually scheduled my court date for when I the what's gonna come off of um patrol, you know, I told him when we when we would be back and he scheduled, you know, the court date after that. And to give you a little backstory on that is I had already gotten a lawyer and she um was the one that had drew up the separation agreement. So I had to end up calling her to let her know what had happened. So she actually took over the case far as me getting arrested. And this happened on a Friday evening and we got underway on Monday for Fleet Week up in New York. So pretty much once I, um, and then we went on patrol. So once I came back in, court day was scheduled and everything. So in the meantime, this is what my lawyer did. She actually um, requested the library records because apparently this girl, I, you know, she had got me kicked off the computer at the library. Wow. She shows up at the library, gets me kicked off the computer. She So my lawyer had the library <laughs> records subpoenaed to show that I had signed in a whole hour before she did. <laughs> my lawyer had her supervisor subpoenaed because this girl was calling me and harassing me at my house. But she was on the job doing it, and the supervisor also heard that, you know, who she got pregnant by was married, you know. So all of this happened, and my command was, like, basically the commanding officer, the executive officer, whoever you need to show up, We both will show up. <laughs> so um we show up in court and everything, and the lady that had me charge or filed charges, She decided, she she told him she wanted to drop the charges. And I was like, oh, no, I want this hurt, you know? (laughs) So my lawyer says to me, let her drop the charges. You want to go after her after that, you can do it. And, you know, the judge starts laughing, you know, and everything. So the charges were dismissed right then and there. And um, pretty much, you know, from there it was quite an obstacle for me, but... um, Moving forward from there, I, you know, learned that I had to put my big girl panties on, which is what I did. Okay. And that incident actually taught me if I could survive this, I can survive anything. Okay. And it gave me the strength. Like, you know, I didn't miss one patrol out of that whole situation. I continued to advance in rank. Because after that I made senior chief <laughs> I made master chief So you know nothing held me back You got booked as a chief mm-hmm. Yes You, you said booked I got arrested a book, a book. There's a difference between <laughs> Booked is you know on the ship <laughs> far as you know captain's mask <laughs> Arrested is in civilian court Best oh my god mm-hmm. you, But uh, it made me the strong And independent woman that I am today
0: Strength on anybody, you know. I'm really glad that you had a good chain of command at that yes. time. Yes, like that was yes, that was a solid. That, that's good that they were able to. They wanted to show up for you. They yeah, had they back. did. They did. Okay, you're gonna
1: find out a lot of things. Um, so
0: that was hilarious. just finding out that you you got arrested uh-huh. because you are such a sweet person, just so nice and mild mannered. Like this is not you. <laughs> All right. Um.
1: One thing about the military, I've always been about my business. Clearly. So.
0: Clearly. Um, no. Are there any resources that helped you along the way? Any people, groups, organizations, uh, friends, connections, anything like that?
1: Yes. Um, I've always had mentors from being junior enlisted all the way up through Master Chief. Okay? Okay. And, um... And I've had great shipmates throughout. And far as, um, you know, when I look back, it's just so many, you know. Even the, um, and I don't know what you would call a work life. The lady there, Laura Jennings. Okay. She was so instrumental to me during this time with the ex-spouse, you know. I was supposed to be going to her for counseling. And she was like, well, you feel like you're going to harm yourself or anybody else? And I was like, no. She got down the business. Well, I need you to change your bank account. This is the lawyer here, you know. So, and I always thank her. I mean, you know, if it wasn't for her, she made sure, she said, and get that separation agreement done. And she, you know, and she was on it. You know, she was asking me every time I met with her, did you do it? And I was doing it. But, you know, when I say, you know, mentors like Vince Patton, um, has been a mentor. Um, I first met him in person. I knew who he was, but, uh, um, I was a first class okay. and he was the one, um, that told me that I was making chief. He came to me in February <laughs> and said I was making chief March the 1st, 1998. And he also told me that I had orders to the Cut of Laguerre. We'll talk about that a little bit later, <laughs> later time. But, um, you know, he, like I said, he's been very inspira- inspirational as far as my C-Daddy, which is Lieutenant Commander um, Charlie Marino. He was a EMC when I first met him and um, when I was on the forward. And, you know, the engineers, you know, back when I was a, second class subsistence specialist they literally took me under their wings on the forward no i mean seriously the engineers the chiefs and yeah nice yes i love that for you so you know but and um when we talk about other um people that i looked up to or inspired me pam Altry, she is the first african american engineer chief in the coast guard Yes and she had made senior chief so I always looked up to her I had a big picture <laughs> inside my locker on the um, gear <laughs> and I kept it up there until I made senior chief.
0: And just as a sidetrack, mm-hmm. I know this isn't on on the list mm-hmm. but I think you can answer it like off, off the cuff uh, So you mentioned you had a sea dad
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I know you have many sea babies like mm-hmm. you are a sea mother. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to have more than one sea daddy and sea mommy?
1: Yes, it is, but I'm just telling you, I don't have a sea mommy. You don't? I have a sea daddy.
0: That's all right.
1: Because you also have to realize um, we're talking about ships. Pam would have been a sea mommy because, you know, me and her was doing the do. You know, <laughs> and I, you know, I love her to death. You know, she calls me her little sister Aww. and stuff. And I call her my big sister. But um, she was more of a friend, mm-hmm. you know, and I really, you know, um, admire, admired her, which I still do. You know, she was very inspirational to me, for far as, you know, like I said, senior chief, that's who I looked up to. Right. On. Okay. So
0: one sea daddy.
1: Right. Uh, yes, I have one sea daddy. I have many sea babies. <laughs> and one, uh, my sea daddy. His son was my sea baby, <laughs> meaning that his C, his his father was my sea daddy on the forward. And when so this I was
0: his biological father was right my sea daddy. Hold on, his sea granddad. <laughs> well, what happened
1: is he was a little kid when I was on the forward, and his dad was my sea daddy. And then when he came to the Laguerre, you know, my sea daddy called me, "Hey, Luke's coming over there. You know, look out for him. Take him under your wing." And that's what I did. So literally from boot camp, you know, and I love, I love it. I love his story because he went all the way from seaman apprentice, and he retired as a lieutenant commander. Come on, see that's that's the um, joy in seeing your sea babies just you know, <laughs> sprout. I
0: love it. I love it. Um, in your time in service, mm-hmm. were you able to establish sisterhood? Were you able to find sister? Were you able to establish? I feel like I know the answer to this one, but it's a hard. Well, I'm
1: going to talk about Deirdre Green again, but um, mine started, you know, in the first part of my career, the first year of my career, and my sister, you know, I, you know, when I say sister, far as Deirdre Green. She is, she didn't have any sisters, and I didn't have any sisters, so we literally have been sisters since 1987.
0: Y'all actual sisters then. Right. <laughs> At, look, after so know, years, y'all become actual sisters.
1: <laughs> and like I said, you know, um, before that, she literally took me under her wing, and we're still sisters, you know. Here it is, 36 years later.
0: Love it. I love it.
1: And, you know, it is so interesting that she was my support when I was a junior um, enlisted, you know, member as an E-4 showing up at a unit. She was my support because I didn't have any family down there or anything. She was my family. Her mother, brothers, they were my family. Grandma Easter, her grandmother... That was my family, you know.
0: Did you go to her place for the holidays?
1: I I was at her place every other weekend. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I was around her brothers, her um, grandmother, you know, and, you know, I was around, you know, that was the family for me.
0: How would you rate their sweet potato pie?
1: You know, we come from North Carolina. So, um, (laughs) you know. As my mother's from North Carolina, mm-hmm. and my auntie, my mother's sister.
0: So, who made better sweet potato pie? Your your C family? No. Or,
1: or your family? My family. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, oh my gi- I'm I'm giving it to them. <laughs> you know, but the interesting thing um, when we talk about sisterhood, um, although she was, you know, um, I took her. She took me under her wings early in my career after she retired from the Coast Guard. I have been there for her, you know, supporting her um whether it's medical or whatever she might be going through, yeah, okay. and she's been retired since nineteen ninety nine so that's how long you nice. know, like thirty, you know, yeah, almost it was over thirty years. What is it's 33 years, yeah, that you know, far as the support that I, you know, have given her. She retired in, all right, so. 1999.
0: So you've known her longer as a retiree than you did as yes. a... Yes, <laughs> yes. Lovely. That's, that's real friendship. Mm-hmm. A tough situation where you were in, that you were in, that another sister helped you out. Another black lady.
1: Okay, you want some more history?
0: Come on, I'm with it.
1: Angela McShane. Okay. Do you know who she is? I
0: feel like she's got a title. Is, is it going to be a master chief or is it going to be she like a? She is command? your
1: first African American Coast Guard female Coast Guard master chief.
0: Come on, you know her. Yes. All right.
1: Well, she's no longer with us. Okay. But um, she was a senior chief when I met her. I was stationed in Yorktown. She was there in Yorktown, and I had just um, we're going back to Vince Patton. You know, that he, you know, pretty much the issue that we were dealing with. And it was February because we were at a Black History. um, Vince Patton wasn't there. And I'm not sure if Angela Michan was there, but my issue was that I was making chief and they were getting ready to send me to my third land unit. (laughs) And I wanted a cutter. Okay, so I was, you know, adamant about getting a cutter, you know, because had I been a male, they would have sent me to a cutter. Don't, it's not funny.
0: It is funny that you were fighting for your right to get on as the a female. Yes, yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I always had to fight for my cutters. No, I feel like, like it's
0: funny that you would want to. Get yeah,
1: I loved, I loved being underway. I loved being on cutters, even uh, after I left base Portsmouth. Put in for the buoy tenders. Okay. Wouldn't give it to me. They sent me to Yorktown. No, land unit. That's the second one. <laughs> so when I made chief, they was trying to send me to a third land unit. And I was like, oh, no. But, you know, I was divorceless. So at that time, it was a black history um, uh, celebration in Yorktown in the auditorium. And my old CO, he was a commander at the time, Patrick Stillman. But at the time when I seen him again in 98, well, I seen him throughout the years or whatever, but he had made admiral. Wow. So, you know, I'm telling him about this too. I'm talking to Angela McShann about, you know, me getting my third land unit and I'm trying to get a cutter. So... Admiral Stillman told me, he says, when you get back to your office, I need you to call Master Chief Patton. <laughs> you know, and I had not met Master Chief Patton in person yet. So I called him when I got back to the office and, you know, explained the situation. And with Angela Masham being involved, <laughs> Master Chief of the Coast Guard retired Vince Patton. Um, he was, um, the command master chief, I think it was for MLC land at the time and Admiral Stillman, they made phone calls and the calls went all the way up to the chief of staff, which is the third person in charge after the vice commandant. (laughs) And out of that, um, and I'll 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 say far as um Admiral Stillman, you know, I believe that he always saw the light of me as a um second class petty officer and when I made first on his cutter, instead of getting transferred, I chose to stay. You know? <laughs> and finish my tour out. And that's what I did, you know, but he always saw the light of me. He always checked on me. Um, I can remember being on the Laguerre, you know, He and this is on the Laguerre, you know, years later. He's walking down to the pier, and I done left the cutter, you know, Laguerre, and went on up to, I think it was Port of York or whatever. We had pulled into the pier in Yorktown, and, you know, pretty much when he showed up at the pier, and he's asking for me, you know. I mean, the command got, you know, scared, you know, what, let's, okay, (laughs) But he was just showing up to, you know, check on me and everything because after that happened, I actually, you know, Master Chief Patton, he showed up like, you know, in February, towards the end of February, and he was like, you know, he showed up, gave me his coin in my hand, and he said, congratulations, you're making chief on the 1st of March, and this was 1988, 1998, and he says, and you also got orders to the cutter Laguerre, Coast Guard cutter Laguerre. Come on. <laughs> so this situation, like I said, I didn't know it went all the way up to the uh, chief of staff and headquarters. But what was very, um, you know, far as the um, situation would have been, it would have been the first time they would have had female chiefs on the 270s. Oh. Okay, so I was the test project and... <laughs> I was also the first female chief to be billeted on the pier in Portsmouth out of any other cutters. So basically I did my whole tour on the Laguerre, and it was me and another female. And then when she made uh, warrant, they had another female come up there, but we were the test projects. And now because of that, they have female... Um, Chiefs on all the cutters they can be billeted on all the cutters they've actually turned some of the two seventies where they used to just have all male E six and below and they have some of the most of the cutters have E six and below females now with the males. So those were the changes because it worked out so well and no issues, no problems.
0: Tell me about a time when you experienced something that you know to be unique to you.
1: Because you're a black woman. Okay. And that's an interesting take on that because, you know, coming in the Coast Guard, I used to always, from E1 to E9, I always said that I never experienced racism or racial discrimination my whole time in the Coast Guard, what I experienced was gender discrimination or gender bias or a prejudice. And it was only maybe a few years ago that I realized that me as a black woman, you know, most likely, most likely my race actually intersected with my gender. You know, if I had to look back on things, um, you know, was it because I was a female or was it because I was a black female? Okay, my first incident was when I was stationed at Barnegat Light, New Jersey, and I had done so well as a non-rate. I was a um, seaman apprentice there. I made semen. I was just moving along, and I had already taken my little um, tests. You know, we had booklets back then, but I had taken it up to E6. I had actually taken the end-of-course tests for subsistence specialist, which was Cook. But I chose to, even though I had taken it, I could have struck it at the unit, I chose to go to Petaluma to go to A school so that I could be well-rounded. Right on. But during um, my marks there, and that was as a seaman, I had a whole bunch of sevens as a seaman. Get it. And one of my marks was a...
0: 7 is the highest you can go on yes. your on your marks. So, she had a, a phenomenal yes. of marks.
1: But one of my marks was a 6 instead of a 7 and it had to do with the bulk of my hair. Okay. And um I accept I accepted that, but as a black female, I mean, we had so many challenges. We, you know, I'm living on this Allen and it's two black women that are married to black coasties. I'm the only single female and we didn't have no, you know, dark and lovely perms and (laughs) Revlon perms for our hair, you know? So yes, it was challenging. Yeah. Okay. Um, my second incident, which I, you know, equated it to gender discrimination was I showed up at air station Clearwater and I was pregnant and you know the captain of the base Captain Shorey yes I remember names (laughs) but um Captain Shorey uh he was like well you know basically you got to balance you know your family with the job you know and all of that okay I understand that I got it I'm not gonna let nothing interfere with this job and I meant that so the fact
0: that he any that?: to you,
1: though. Right. Okay. Now, my thing is, had I been a white female showing up, when I look back now, and it was so much I equated it, like I said, to gender discrimination. But if I put myself being a black female in it, you know, would that have happened to a white female? Right. So that's why you know I say that you know my race actually intersected with my gender. Um, but the second incident that, um, happened, like I said, I showed up at Air Station Clearwater, um, pregnant and, you know, the captain said that, but it didn't stop there. I was actually duty cooking, lifting roasting pans in that galley until I was seven and a half months pregnant. You heard, you heard me seven and a half months pregnant. Look here. Okay. And I was in labor and I went to work.
0: You stop it.
1: I went to work and I did not leave to go to the hospital until 9.30 that morning. And I had my baby that evening. Okay. Um,
0: There is no way a white woman would have had to
1: do
0: all that for that long. That's heavy lifting.
1: Yeah. So after all of this, I get marked by the chief. Mm -hmm. Chief (laughs) Kaluan. You know, I can remember names. I'm But, um, yeah, he marked me low, low. and his reason for marking me low was because the crew had to take up my slack when Mm -hmm. I had doctor's appointments, Mm -hmm. but I had to um, go over his head, and I went over his head to Mr. Lewis, and, you know, he was the support officer, and I went over his head. You know, and Mr. Lewis agreed with me that basically if some, you know, one of the, your other coworkers would have broke their arm, you know, I had to go to doctor's appointments that wouldn't be counted against them. So it should not be counted against you. But where I really took heat with this was I was pregnant and I literally lived right around the corner from air station Clearwater. I mean, walking distance around the corner. And I literally, on my weekends off, that Saturday morning, Mm -hmm. I would get out of my bed and come in there, start breakfast cooking on my weekends off, because the other cooks that were supposed to be there were out drinking the night before, and they were too drunk to come in, so I had to go up there, get breakfast started and everything until they came in. And I got marked low because supposedly they were supposed to be taking my slack, but Mm -mm. I was taking their slack. (laughs) And, you know, the other thing is, my doctor's appointments, I would make them on my days off. So nobody had to take up no slack from me. Not until towards the end of my pregnancy, and by then I wasn't duty cooking anymore, I was day working. Dear God.
0: So you would... (laughs) were picking up slack for drunkies Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and that's not a problem
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but you being pregnant Mm -hmm. that's mark worthy
1: right but my marks were raised because of that by mr lewis Look, ain't god good
0: yeah and also i hate some of these people that you talk about
1: all right it's life experiences you know
0: not enjoying their retirement so how could your experience with the service have been improved?
1: Um, I think my experience could have been improved if anybody that had to do with me getting assigned to a new unit and what unit I got assigned to, if they would have let me shine. And by that I mean every time I put in for different jobs, it's just like I put in for base Portsmouth. And I had the detailer telling me that I wasn't going to make rank while I was, because I was going to base Portsmouth. Well, I can show you that I'm going to make rank because I'm going to study for these tests. Plus, when they have not training down on the pier, as far as the SAT team shows up, I took my behind down to the pier to learn, you know, whatever new thing might be coming out. But I always, you know, kept up with everything, you know. Other issues, I always wanted to be a recruiter and I thought I would make a good recruiter because mm-hmm. I had been at large units, small units, on the cutters. I was a single parent, you know, it was so much that I had to offer, but they never let me be a recruiter. I wanted to, um, civil rights, I was putting in for these jobs, but they, and when I say they, whoever had to endorse me. Far as my next super, you know, my whoever my supervisor was, mark an official. They didn't want. They didn't want to endorse me. Um, I put in for command drug and alcohol representative. I could do it as a collateral duty, which I got to do twice at different units. But far as doing it as a full time job, no. And um, command chief when I was on the cut when I was on the cutter Laguerre. Um, the captain told me um me and him weren't on the same wavelength. And at the time I was the chief of the boat, because I was the senior chief.
0: Wait, were you the senior chief? Yes. Or a senior No,
1: chief? no were you I was the senior chief on the boat. A? No, I wasn't oh, AA, okay. I was the chief. You're just senior ranking chief. Yes, okay. so chief of the boat. Gotcha. I had another um situation where I um was made Command Master Chief when I was in Miami. And I actually um, kept the job for about two months. And then I went into the captain's office and threw the badge on his desk. <laughs> and because basically, um, and I'll say this, you know, my feelings, it used to be called Command Enlisted Advisor. And when it was Command Enlisted Advisor, they were there for the people. But when they changed it to command chief, senior chief, and master chief, they were there for the command. Mm. And one thing that I was never about was kissing butt. <laughs> and like I told uh, you know, and it was Captain Fox. He was my, um, he was my CO at the time when I threw the badge on the, <laughs> on his desk. You know, basically, I could do this job without a badge. But what I find interesting in both of those situations as far as going for command chief and not getting it because we weren't on the same wavelength and me um, giving up the badge as a command master chief is both commands kept me very involved with what was going on, especially if it had to do with females. And I had no title. I had no badges, but... I was the first one that they called into their <laughs> stateroom or their office. And pretty much uh, Chief handled this. Master Chief handled it, you know. And this was without the badge and the title. Lord. So, but when I say um, I felt like I was held back, is I never got to do anything but be a cook. And it was almost as if... Um, Even, you know, the people, you know, detailers and all of that, it's like, they didn't want me to go out to cook great. You know, I know I cooked good. I knew the paperwork, but (laughs) I wanted to broaden my horizons and, you know, they never let me do it. So I always felt like I was being um, held back because of that, you know, because I, and I say I had so much more to offer and I.
0: Do you think you're a better, you were a better leader than the leaders you grew up under? Yes good,
1: good. And, and and i say that um because especially in the um culinary field i'll see it just like that mm-hmm. i never had a strong chief the whole time my for my whole career you know and i made chief so i didn't need one at that point but <laughs> i never had a strong chief like they were all weak you know and um when I call out people that actually mentored me, as far as the culinary rate right at the time, I had a first class, and he was there at the air station Clearwater, and he actually, as a third, when I was a third class, showed me all the paperwork and put me in the jack of dust position to do it. Once I went to sea school, it was a master chief SS, but he, I didn't work directly for him. But, you know, the deal was, he said, if you carve my steamship round at my retirement, I'll make sure you get um, put in for C-School. And C-School was paper management, and he did it. So as a third class, which I wasn't supposed to go to the school until I made second class, I went as a third class. So, um, you know, but he was, you know, I consider him a mentor and stuff, but like I said, the chief... When I went to the forward, the chief, I'm making faces right now because <laughs> they, it was garbage. She,
0: she was rolling her eyes, nice and hard. <laughs> yeah,
1: and then when I showed up in Yorktown, I had a chief that um, there that um, pretty much he took credit for everything that we did, and you know he pretty much kind of worked off our backs as gay people favors. We you know we did. We worked a whole lot there, too, you know, but I did enjoy being there. I learned so much. Um, But he was another one. He gave me low marks Uh -uh. when I showed up, (laughs) and he said, well, that's because these are your first marks. No indeed. Okay, but, okay, what happens is I can show y'all better than I can tell you. You ain't going to sit there. I stand up for myself, but some things I got to show y'all better than I can tell you. So that's where I advanced to chief. Right on. And this was the same man, like I said, he went to the cutter beside me. And, you know, he was like, well, I just tested for senior chief. When are you going to test? I said, I just did, too. <laughs> so he said, well, you better not beat me. Well, guess what? I wrote number one. <laughs> and, you know, the moral to that story is he didn't even make senior chief oh because of me. No, he didn't <laughs> because of me. Because um, I went to the... Um, He didn't make it off of that particular service-wide, but he was on the list when I went on the SAT team as a senior chief, as an E8. Um, But what he was doing was cooking his books and everything, and guess what? I got a call, like, and I showed up at his unit, and... the investigation that I did on him and report that I had to turn in was 76 pages long. I can still remember the number. I love it. Okay? I love it. And um, far as, you know, how he was cooking the books and everything, the inventory cards, I was right down to everything, you know. So basically they took him off the list for E8. E8. He was working at the um, Port of York in Yorktown. They took him out of there, too. Anything to deal with money, so they put him in the barracks so he didn't have to deal with no money. People was worried about their careers after that point.
0: He was cooking the books and nothing else afterwards. Right. (laughs) Oh, Lord. I'm... That story makes me so happy.
1: I'm so glad I heard it. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, when I say um, dealing with that, you know, like I told them, you know, everything that I had, you know, done far as the investigation is strong enough that um, C just should have been on board. Yeah. Yeah. And, but his CO was getting ready to get a cushiony job. So that's why they <laughs> weren't. My
0: goodness. Um. I just wanted to circle, like, real quick. Um, now, you did describe uh, your weak chiefs, and I'm glad you brought that up. Mm-hmm. So when you say weak chiefs, do you mean they were weak all the way around or just weak one way? And what I mean by that is...
1: They so- were weak all the way around. I don't have to, you know, think about that. <laughs> you know, when, when you got, you know, like one of my chiefs um, on the forward... He was like, you know, he really didn't speak that much. And, you know, the, the mess the mess attendant, and I'm being politically correct, but the mess attendant could have said, boo! And, okay, that kind of, you know, Lord. weak. Okay.
0: Weak all the way around.
1: Yes. <laughs> and I only had, like, I had, um, who was it? The Kaluan That's the one that marked me low. He was weak. And, you know, when I say weak is... I should have learned something from my chiefs and my rate. And I didn't learn anything except for how not to be. No, seriously, I didn't learn nothing. And I always believed that you're supposed to be teaching and guiding the ones under you. Like, you know, my people always made sure they were working and operating on the rank above them all the time. The engineers, the engineers took me under their wings, the engineering chiefs, and that's how I learned to be a chief. Well, right on. You know, I always give them credit. Right on.
0: All right. Uh, so, you made a lot of rank in your time in service, and we're going to get into that. However, for right now, how was the treatment? How was the treatment you received changed with your rank? Because
1: you had all the ranks. I had all the ranks. But <laughs> at the same time, let me first say that I always stood up for myself from E2 through E9. But I do feel um, it's always been challenges and obstacles that have been in my way through each rank that I was and even up to E9. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm because, um, you know, a prime example for e nine people say well- what about e nine well, I showed up at air station clear i mean base Miami Beach, and I wasn't even supp- i was supposed to be the branch chief, not that food service officer, and when I showed up, the previous master chief had cooked the books Lord. so bad. <laughs> Now, why are you cooking books and you got somebody from the SAT team showing up? Okay, so I did my investigation there, even though nobody asked me. So what was said to me is, well, he was here longer than, you know, he was here longer than you. And, you know, he knows what was going on. Well, what was going on was you were claiming more flight rations than the air station did. And you're a base. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> what's going on is that you was um it was I want to say it was like two thousand five hundred something in the hole, Lord okay so it took you know pretty much just skimming how I had to do things to get us out the hole and everything and I did get us above that ten percent line out of the hole and then to get us back on board, but you know. Like I said, that was told to me. Um, he was here longer, and then you gave him a higher medal than the accommodation medal no, indeed. as he left out. You know, and he was on terminal. Did y'all call him back? No. Mm-mm. So, you know, I had a problem with that, you know, hearing me as a master chief and then on top of it. I trained my supply officer and the ex-executive officer on how to check the books and the paperwork. Now after I've trained y'all, y'all had the audacity to check my stuff out a month. They did it for 6 months straight. After I showed y'all how to do it. You know, but since that time um the captain, you know, as since we've retired, you know, he apologized. You know, I know it was on his conscience because even at my retirement, he had it right down to the scent of, you know, far as the discrepancy and everything that I found. So, but you know, when you know, they always say rank has its privilege, but I felt like, you know, I've had a lot of challenges, you know, being female. Being the only black female, I mean, you know, as you move up the ranks, it gets smaller, you know, and um, and one thing that I've always told people, I have always wanted to be respected as Lisa Spotwood before the rank that I wear on my collar, and that goes today, and I've been like that since I was in E two, so as when I say I'm down to earth. I want to be respected as a person first before my rank
0: let's say you were just starting your life on your own just starting out and you were presented with the chance to join the service right now today knowing what you know would you join
1: now you said today Mm -hmm. now why you couldn't say back then
0: okay well knowing what you know now would you join the service would you have joined the service then
1: well my answer initially was absolutely I would have joined Um, as I told you before I always regretted not joining you know right after high school you know took four years from high school until I actually joined
0: you still joined very young like you said
1: I was 20
0: you graduated high school at 16 Master Chief
1: okay but I was 20.
0: You weren't even old enough to drink, and you was like gun ho for the service. Yeah. Okay. I, I wasn't old enough to drink
1: when I got in the service, you know? Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> like, you were still very young. You, that's still a baby's age to me. Uh. <laughs> I already know the, the uh, answer to this next question.
1: Well, I can still give it to you.
0: But for our listeners, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the <laughs> And the answer is going to be so obvious once we get into it. But uh, if you had a daughter or any young impressionable black girl in your life that you cared about, and she was considering a life in the military, would you let her join? Uh,
1: Yes. (laughs) Actually, my daughter enlisted in the um, United States Coast Guard 14 and a half years ago.
0: Right on. And that lady is all the way up to... uh, Yes. (laughs) Chief now. Yes. <laughs> she, she is also not playing games. And the next question, how do you feel about your, your time in uniform?
1: Okay. Um, I loved every bit of it and you know, every bit of my time in uniform, even with all the challenges and obstacles that were in my way.
0: All right. So the good outweighed the bad. Yes. All right. That's what's up.
1: Yeah. The bad was really minuscule compared to you know the good and what i got out of it
0: that's a winning experience that's that's a win all right now i want to go back to your uh your service-wide and uh you're moving up in rank very fast uh you moved up in rank quickly like expeditiously you wasted absolutely no time making rank could you please tell our listeners your advancement pace story like it's it's phenomenal (laughs)
1: okay well i um of course, when you go to recruit training um you're an e one there, but once you graduate, you come out as a e um uh, e two or e three it depends I came out as an e two um an apprentice um when I showed up in my unit um and actually it was group sandy Hook, somebody told me just to order your courses as soon as you get there and take them. And I followed their advice. So (laughs) as soon as I showed up at Station Barnegat, I ordered my courses. And two weeks later, my course for um, seamen came in. I took that. Two weeks after that, I took my MR. They were called at the time military requirements for E3. Took that. So I actually had these courses passed within a month and a half of showing up at the unit. Nice. And <laughs> within, like, four months, I already had everything signed off because we had um, items that we had to get checked off or on a list and had that done. So I had to wait around two months to actually be um, to be advanced to E3. And from getting a <laughs> You know, while I once I got advanced E three, I actually took my military requirements all the way up to E six. <laughs> um, I took my end of course test for subsistence specialist third class, and upon passing that, I could have stayed at Station Barnegat and struck SS three, which is third class. Um, the subsistence specialist is cook. Um, but I wanted to go to A school in Petaluma, California, so that I could be well-rounded as a as assistant specialist. Um, so I showed up there like a year after I had joined the Coast Guard, like it was February the 3rd. So <laughs> a little about a week and a half after I joined the Coast Guard, a year and a week and a half. Wonderful memory. Yes. Um, So I was there from February to March. um, Upon the completion of A school, I was advanced to E4. And that's where I showed up at um, Air Station Clearwater. And it was in May of 87 that I showed up at Air Station Clearwater. Like I said, I was uh, um, E4 there within six months i had taken um service wide for (laughs) e5 so i had made e5 the first
0: opportunity you had yes you made it yes
1: (laughs) and the same thing uh, Well, that was actually two and a half years is when i was advanced from the time i came you know enlisted you know in the coast guard so two and a half years i made um e5 lord um, four and a half years in, I made E6 Lord, and at six and in,
0: a in one, hold on, four years, four and a half. That's one enlistment. Yes. That's one whole, that's yeah. In one enlistment you made E6. Yes. All right. Can, please continue. Okay. <laughs>
1: and, um, six and a half years, I started testing for E7. Um, I did not have enough time in service, (laughs) rank, rate, or anything, and I was competing against people that had dinosaur points, but I rode number three on that service wide, and I got bumped back to 36. Jesus. So it would take me six more years to actually make E7, and I made it at 12. The
0: Um, first chance she could have made it, you did?
1: So, and, you know, at that time I started setting a target that, hey, I got to be within the top ten. And I actually wrote number five on the um, service-wide for chief, and I got bumped back to seven. So, um, but I made it. I made it. Um, <laughs> and from there I just really took off running um, far as um, senior chief, um I made that in fifteen years and I wrote number one on that um, service wide and for Master Chief I wrote number one on that service wide and I made that in eighteen years or I was advanced in eighteen years. Oh, and I wanted to, you know, also say my goal when I raised my right hand up on enlisting in the Coast Guard was to make was to do just twenty years and retire and to make Master Chief or E9 within those 20 years. So once I had been advanced at 18 years in, I put my re, um, quest for retirement in, <laughs> and two years later I retired at 20.
0: Wasted no time. No time. Not 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 a second left behind. <laughs> I love it. Wait, and you, you scored number one on the service wide. Right. Twice. Yes. At, senior and master and that couldn't have been easy that, it sounds like a lot of studying it sounds like a lot of book work well
1: yes it's a lot of book work and I was you know carrying like three and four inch binders with me everywhere like it was my bible you know I could be in the club I could be out on a you know Liberty Port call with my binder you stop you were not in a 300, a yes, 365 days of the year. <laughs> it was like my Bible. <laughs> this is my rifle. No, this, this is my booklet.
0: <laughs>
1: right. You know, but I mean, at that time, it's 150 questions on the service wide, and I was getting 125 right. That is so, of. But... I you know, felt like I had to do that because I didn't have any time in the service time and the rate, you know and um, no, you know, like all these other people, you know they had C time, they had time and service, time and rate, all of that. you know, I was lacking in those areas. so the only place that I could make changes was taking that service wide. And, you know, um, one of the, um, things I do want to tell people is it's a, it's a lot of people out there taking these service wise because they're book smart. <laughs> and I wasn't one of those, you know, I you know, I literally studied, but not only was I book smart, but I knew I could cook. I knew my stuff, meaning, you know, um, Far as the book, I could tell you, you know, what manual stuff was in, what chapter, what page, what paragraph, you know, all of that. But I was well rounded as far as cooking and everything. You know, people will tell you about my cooking. (laughs) No, I'm serious, you know, and I literally cooked from being an E4 all the way through E9. Like, oh, you say cooking? Yes. What happens is, I don't believe. Or I say, I'll say I didn't believe in once you make E7 or E6, walking around with a, holding a coffee cup with your hand in your pocket. You know, <laughs> I'm a firm believer on leading by example. And if they can see Chief Spotwood lifting boxes that had the number 10, them giant cans, and it was six in each case, living it on my shoulder, taking it on the ship, uh-huh. then... With that, you started getting junior officers. You started getting other chiefs doing this because I was leading by example. If they seen me do it, then they would start doing it, and that's what they did, okay? And like I said, as far as cooking, um, I did my paperwork in the afternoon. I was in that galley in the kitchen with my cooks. You know, you have to lead by example. You have to show them, that you care in order for them to care because what I do find is a lot of, um, supervisors don't take the time up with their people, you know, and I was all about taking the time up with my people and I was like, you better not put nothing out on my, on that line that you're not willing to eat yourself. And I meant that, (laughs) you know, I was all about training and everything and, you know, sat down, had training. I was also about, um, My people um, taking, you know, basically having a lot of input, you know, whether it was the menu, whether it was, you know, work schedules, procedures, anything. You know, I wanted them to be able to take ownership and not just be one of those leaders that told you what you're going to do, when you're going to do it. I wanted them to have as much input, you know, so that, you know, take ownership. it's not about spoiling cuz even when i was at base miami it was nothing for me to be in the scullery it was nothing for me to swab the deck wow as a master chief wow you know but once people see you that you know you know they don't have a problem with doing it right you know cuz when you're right, you're right. when i first showed up in miami they was like you know especially the civilian mass attendants <laughs> you know they was like she got us doing this. She got us doing that. But once they seen that I was willing to stand beside them, they had no problem, you know, because, you know, my salad bar, that was my pet peeve. You know, <laughs> like I, you know, don't, I didn't want nothing put out the can. I don't believe in no fruit cocktail on my salad bar line. You know, I want it fresh. I love it. So that meant they had to chop and cut <laughs> and all of that. And if we had chicken the day before or steak the day before, if it's going to be out on that line, okay? So, and, you know, that's shrimp or whatever, you know? So, but when I say leading by example and, you know, the other thing with the civilian mess attendants before I got there, they were just there to work, nobody paid them no mind, and I included them in everything that I included my um, culinary um, specialists under me in. You know, whether Christmas, what you know, whatever. You know, I bought gifts for them, too. You oh, wow. know, I bought pizza. You know, y'all come out here. You know, <laughs> like, y'all not just civilian mess attendants and going about your business somewhere. They were included. They were part of the team. Right on. So.
0: Recruitment and retention is down across all branches, and that's with all demographics. Black women are not excluded from that number. This was true even before the pandemic. Why do you think black women are disinterested in joining the military?
1: There's a number of things with that. Um, When we talk about black women, we have so many things that we have to be concerned with. Not only family telling us not to join, but even as, you know, like my situation as a black mother, you know, somebody's got to keep the children, right? Right. When you're on patrol, you know, so that becomes a obstacle for a lot of black mothers. Even right now, I will say this much. Not so much on the enlisted side, but on the officer side. Mm-hmm. You don't, the ones that have families and they have children, mm-hmm. you know, they'll make it, as black women, they'll make it to, you know, commander. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's about the highest. But, mm-hmm. and I can't fully say that. You know, I, I'm just saying as black women, I mean, right. you mm-hmm. know, we're nurturers. By nature, and we're always going to take the family into consideration, If even if it means that, hey, we got to get out or whatever we got to do. You know, so we talk about, you know, retention. The family comes before, you know, whatever military branch. You know, I was fortunate because of my village. You know, I mean, (laughs) I had my mother. Mm-hmm. I had my mother, sister, my auntie, my favorite auntie. I mean, pretty much when I got underway on them cutters, I had no worries. That's I didn't tough. think about nothing. The kids were comfortable. Everything was, you know, set. But it's a lot of people that don't have that, especially, you know, I couldn't have done it on the cutters if I was over in California somewhere or if I was in Alaska or Seattle or Hawaii mm-hmm. Cause I wouldn't have had the family support. So it's so many um, females that don't have that support, you know, especially dealing, you know, yes. with African Americans, um, we do have. I've seen some networks. My mother, I had a seaman. She had came off of one of the cutters, but she was working under me at the um, gym. Based Portsmouth, and she needed a base. She had two kids: little girl, baby girl, and a son. But my mother ended up keeping her kids. You know, so we do. You know, we do a lot when we say that. You know, when we talk about that village. This is wonderful. You know, even me a couple of maybe about two years ago, three years, um, got a phone call, Petaluma. Chief out there, uh, he's a senior chief now. But chief out there, he called me. He said, "Hey, uh, got this um, new YN that's coming your way. Um, she's a single mother. Uh, she doesn't know where she's gonna live. Child care, you know." So I had did all my research and everything. And um, when she got, you know, in the area right before she got ready to report into base Portsmouth. Um, I went to meet her at Olive Garden We sat down and everything And um, You know sat down and talked and everything So you know she said Okay well I got the apartment Straight and she was like And I got you know child care for And everything and then She says but um, She couldn't Basically the child care wasn't Going to start until a certain Date or something Mm -hmm. you know But she had to report in (laughs) <laughs> so she says, Well, you think that I can um just bring the baby when I check in? I said, Oh H no. <laughs> I says, I will be up there. What time are you gonna check in? Um, uh, I will be up there and I will sit out in the um personnel office in the lobby and I'll watch the baby till you do your checking in. You will not be walking around with this baby on your hip checking in. And that's what happened. It would have made checking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's what literally happened. This was maybe about three years ago. This was
0: that's beautiful. Wait, three years? Two thousand twenty.
1: Mm-hmm It was right before the um, pandemic hit. Was it twenty or twenty nineteen? Two thousand twenty. Okay, so it must have been that December before. It was right before it hit. But
0: you said base Portsmouth Right. So. All right.
1: She oh. checked in like that January. And I think the pandemic didn't hit until that February you I mean, know? well,
0: everything went, went on lock on, in uh, March
1: Okay, but, yeah, yeah, yeah but, right. yeah So, but, you know, I just one I of just the things I was trying to it. say with her is You know, you cannot be showing sure up checking in to personnel with a baby on attached to your hip Because <laughs> the baby wasn't walking oh, I mean, she was under a year, that's what I'm saying She, was she like through school? Her mother kept the baby while she was in A school. Then she went and got the baby. But the baby was like, I want to say, by that time, seven months. Lord, this is a baby, baby. Yes. All right. So, I I mean, and that's the kind of stuff that, you know, when I say we do, we do.
0: Right on. Right on. All right, Master Chief. If you were conducting this interview from where I'm sitting. Mm Mm-hmm what question would you have asked you that I have not
1: gotten around to asking you? Well, I'm going to tell you that I think you have covered everything. And <laughs> I've covered everything. I, you know, you asked some good questions. I appreciate it, Master Very Chief. good. Appreciate it. And it causes you to think. Like, like the con- you know I'm an old lady, so I got to think back, you know? <laughs>
0: Look, you remember dates and names and whatever happened on February 3rd. <laughs> so, so... Don't don't do that old lady thing with me. It's it's not gonna work. I've met you. (laughs) All right, Master Chief. Mm -hmm. Respectfully request to know, is there anything you would like to leave our audience with?
1: Um, (laughs) no, you don't have me stumped. (laughs) What I've truly learned, far as you know, being in the Coast Guard. And, you know, it can apply to, you know, civilian life is anything is possible. Right it. I learned that. And I've learned, you know, just so much that, you know, I still can use today or tell people about today. Love
0: it. Anything is possible. You're right. It is. I, I mean, you
1: see that all the way from being assigned to your first ship and then you got that wash. Um, watch station quarters build it and you got all these jobs that your name is here and all these jobs how am I gonna learn all of this? But once you, you know, continue to do it, it just becomes second nature. You don't think about where you gotta go, what you gotta put on you know, you just go. From but, on. you know, very challenging in the beginning. So when I say anything is possible, anything is possible.
0: I believe that. thank you, Master Chief with your encouraging self. (laughs) If you put your mind to it. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for sitting down and talking to me. This was informative. It was very entertaining. Uh, You have a very interesting life and life story. Um, Yeah. And that concludes this episode of the season vet podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. And a special thank you to retired Master Chief Lisa Spotwood for sharing her story and taking the time to make this interview possible. Now, if you are or know a black lady veteran who would like to sit down with me and be a part of the show, please email me at seasonvetpodcast.gmail.com or you can call or text message me at 713-254-0970. You can also find, follow, and inbox me, The Season Vet, across all platforms of social media. At Real Season Vet on Twitter, At Season Vet Podcast on Instagram, at Season Vet Podcast on TikTok, at Season Vet on YouTube, Season Vet on Facebook. Y'all, I'm so out there, I'm even on Spoutable. That's at The Season Vet on Spoutable. Now, if you like what you heard, please like it, share it, rate it, and leave a good review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And if you're hearing this episode on the day that it drops, then you're listening to it on November 6th, 2023. November 6th just happens to be a big day in black history. That's probably because the first week of November is during election season. On this day in 1900, two brothers, James Weldon Johnson and John Roseman Johnson, composed what is recognized and revered as the Black National Anthem. That song is, Lift Every Voice and Sing. Twenty years later, on November 6th, 1920, one of those brothers, James Weldon Johnson, became the executive secretary of the NAACP. On this day in 1973, Coleman Young was elected mayor of Detroit, Michigan, and Thomas Bradley was elected mayor of Los Angeles, California, making them not only the first two black mayors of their respective cities, but also the first black mayors of cities with over 1 million citizens. That's all for now. Thank you again for tuning in. And until next time, fall out.